Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Mobile hunters, are you looking to make the move to saddle hunting this year? Or maybe you just want to add a few new pieces of gear or upgrade your current saddle gear. If that's the case, then head over to tetherednation.com where they've got all mobile hunters covered. Whether you're new to saddle hunting or an old timer, Tethered is your one-stop saddle shop. From saddles to ropes, sticks, ascenders, whatever it is you need, they have you covered. I've personally been using their gear for the past three seasons. Now, my base setup consists of the Phantom Saddle and the Predator Platform. And if you're wondering why I've chosen to use their gear above all else, here's the cliff notes. They're innovative and pushing the mobile hunting forward overall. They cut no corners and prioritize the safety and performance of their gear. They care about the community that they've created, and their gear allows me to hunt free. And above all else, I like to support good people doing good work. If you're interested in upping your mobile hunting game, then head to tetherednation.com. This podcast is brought to you by Skull Brew Coffee Company. Skull Brew Coffee roasts premium single-origin coffee, guaranteeing to deliver the freshest coffee directly to your doorstep. The kicker? They're 2% for conservation certified and donate 10% of their proceeds back to organizations who support the interests of our hunting community. So go to SkullBrewCoffee.com and pick up one of their three killer roasts and fuel your hunt and fill more tags with Skull Brew Coffee. Welcome to the Truth in the Stand Deer Hunting Podcast brought to you by Skull Brew Coffee Company. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 242. Today I'm joined by the bow hunting fiend, Greg Litzinger, and we're kicking off another DIY report miniseries where we answer your listener questions. So stay tuned. up everyone happy wednesday to you hope you're doing well hope you are feeling fine on this early august morning afternoon whatever day you know or whatever time of day you might be listening to this i just actually got back from vacation so my eyes are squarely tuned and focused on the whitetail season that is ahead of us i always kind of give myself that time you know during the summer to 
try to get some honey do list stuff done, which I'm fully kind of enthralled in right now and in, in redoing my basement. Um, but you know, beginning of August <clears throat> family vacation, kind of spend some time with the fam, focus on that. And then when I come back, you know, aside from wrapping up some of the honey do list stuff, it is now time to kind of really start, you know, making a game plan and, 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 and getting ready for the ready for the upcoming season. My season will open here just about a month and a half, maybe just a little less by the time this podcast comes out. Um, and so I, ha- I do still have, unfortunately, just a few cameras to put out, but they're really kind of in areas where they're more fall areas anyway. So I'm not missing really any summertime trail camera data. Um, I'll probably be going out to do a pool <clears throat> right after that, like 20th, 22nd time frame that Chad and I talked about previously to try to get all the intel I possibly can from the summer. On some of these, some of them that are a little easier access, I might try to check this week either before work or after work just to start to understand, you know, what certain areas have to hold for me and what and what they don't. You know, I still have <clears throat> one trip to make north to do another camera pool, but that probably won't be until, you know, the, the second half of the second half of October or I'm sorry, the second half of August and get that kind of out of the way. But vacation was good. Uh, did the typical beach, the beach jammer. Um <clears throat> course got a sunburn as any good like you know northerner would whenever they go south spent spent the first day on the beach having some adult beverages did not apply enough sunscreen and was lobsterized the first day uh so solid move there also got stung by a jellyfish on the first day so i kind of really checked all the boxes for a uh for a beach vacation in the uh in 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 the first in the first probably 48 hours of of being on vacation uh, but now we're back and we're focused on deer hunting and we're just going to kind of jump into today's podcast. <clears throat> have a cool share for you guys today. I have my buddy Greg Litzinger on. You guys know him. You love him. <clears throat> and um, excuse me. Um, what we ended up doing for this DIY report miniseries and, to, and I'll just be fully transparent and honest with you guys. I don't know how many episode, episodes this is going to create. We podcasted for around four hours, I think, and answering all the different questions you guys sent in. Um, wanted to make sure we got to as many of them as we, as we possibly could. And so we did a, a long four hour session at Greg's place in New Jersey, going through all your listener questions. And in this first session, you know, what we're really kind of covering is talking about adapting to pressure. You know, of course you guys well know, if you listen to this podcast for any length of time, Greg's a good friend. We spent a lot of time together, scouting, talking deer, and he lives in the high pressure state of New Jersey where there's baiting and stuff like that going on, you know? And so he's very well adept at um, adapting to pressure on the pieces that he's hunting, whether it's avoiding bait piles or how he's kind of using those bait piles and the people's pressure to his advantage, as far as like how it's pushing deer into certain areas of the timber where, where people aren't. So in this session, we talk about, we talk about pressure. We talk about, you know, one of the popular things or one of the things that's, I think is one of the hardest things to kind of, start to do as you kind of go through your hunting journey, which is how do you qualify sign when you come across it? How do you know when to hunt it? Um, how do you know how long to sit it before you, before you move on? You know, that's one of the things that we talk about. Uh, and then we also talk a little bit about, you know, something that Greg is well-versed in, which is hunting, you know, some flatland because he hunts a lot of swamp, a lot of marsh and stuff like that. And so some of the questions that we talked about were related to how do you approach scouting and hunting some of these areas that are flat and thick and they don't have a lot of necessarily mass crops on them. And so that typical where you're going to find food isn't necessarily a blinking beacon, so to speak, to tell you, hey, deer are going to spend time here where you have to kind of have a little bit more of a nuanced approach. And so we talk a little bit about that. And then 
the the final the way we wrap this segment up is really kind of talking about freestyle hunting and run and gun. Um, and I do a lot of freestyle hunting. Greg does and has done a lot of run and gun you know, in his life for probably the past 20 years. So it's not a new thing for, for Greg to be doing that. And we talk about the differences between the two, um, and the similarities between freestyle hunting and, 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 and that run and gun style of hunting. Cause there are some very distinct differences. Um, uh, but oftentimes a freestyle hunt may ultimately turn into a run and gun hunt. And so we talk about that and how we both kind of use, uh, both, both of those styles. So with that, two things to pass on to you guys really quickly before we jump into the podcast, one, head over to SkullBrewCoffee.com, use the promo code TFTS21, get yourself a discount on some coffee, check out the backcountry packs that are made specifically for those travel hunts that you guys are going to have this fall to make sure you have good coffee and not shitty coffee while you're trying to enjoy your hunting trip. And then also TFTS21 will also get you a discount on merch. You can head to uh, my Instagram page, you can buy it straight from the Truth From The Stand Instagram page, um, and or you can head to the link in the bio and head to the merch link and it will send you off to check out some, some fresh gear. So as always, before we jump into today's podcast, I want to make sure to thank you all for listening. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of the truth from the stand deer hunting podcast and back by popular demand. I have none other than New Jersey's favorite son, (laughs) <laughs> the bow hunting fiend greg litzinger what's going on brother what's going on man hanging out at your house man it seems like yeah the crowd goes wild that's right man it feels like uh every year is uh around this time we end up hanging out yeah you know this time i'm not making you work for me well, yeah. i can tune my bow i actually have a bow that's functioning yeah so. <laughs> all things are good in that in that department so you, you know just don't jinx yourself thanks you'll be here next weekend that's right. Here, this thing's in seven pieces. Can you do something? Yeah, can you fix this piece of shit for me? I leave for Kansas in two days. Yeah, I know. That's what happened. To, isn't that what happened a couple of years ago? I I blew up my bow right mm-hmm. before. Well, yeah, like right, before we oh, left. Oh, yeah, right before we left for Montana. Yeah. Yeah, that was shitty. That was mm-hmm. awesome. A little triax. Yeah, that's right. Cantankerous triax. That's right. So anyway, Greg and I are together is is, cust- is kind of uh, customary for us here as we get ready to get into hunting season. And this time, what we thought we would do is we would get together. We put out, uh, I put out a question thing on on the gram, as the kids like to say, and you guys wrote in with with some thunder, plethora. <laughs> yeah, this is this. You might even refer to this as a gaggle. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but no, you guys, you guys killed it and you sent a pile of questions in for us to do Making during any work, right? Yeah. We're putting great. You should have wrote them down. Some of the questions I'm like, I need to really think about that one. I know, like, right? Well, you know, I, I, I did give you the questions of the test at least yeah. on this one. So if his answers suck, he has no one to blame. But yes. no, no, you guys killed it. You guys wrote in a lot of really great questions. And this is actually one of my favorite podcasts to do when we get a chance. You know, I try to do these. Every so often, because, you know, I do the podcast every week and, you know, try to answer as many questions during the course of that as I as I can related to just, you know, hunting topics and strategies and stuff like that. But there are sometimes more specific questions that people have that maybe they haven't listened to all the podcasts or maybe they haven't heard it answered in the recent past. You know, maybe they're a new listener or whatever the case is. And so I always like to give a chance for the listeners to write in and have us answer some questions. And, you know, I've done this with Chad in the past and, you know, now I'm doing it with you. I try to pick, you know, one of my buddies that I have a, that are good hunters and try to come in and answer your questions. And hopefully we can help, uh, give you some direction and, uh, 
At minimum, hopefully. Or misdirection. Yeah, or we, we garhole you. Yeah. That would be <laughs> terrible of us to do. Um, but there's a pile of them here. So just as you're listening to this, if you're starting on episode number one of this, this is probably going to be a two- or three-part series because, like I said, I think I counted it up, and I want to say I think we got like 70-some questions or like 60-some <coughs> questions. So it's going to be quite a lengthy session. Um, I think with that, man, if you're down with it, we'll just get right to it. Well, actually, before we do that, your trail camera today mm. <laughs> not to bring up a source of yeah. it so when we do this like greg and i usually you know we'll podcast in the winter together and we'll usually do like a scouting session together and yep. podcast afterwards and then as i'd already said he and i get together usually this time every year this time greg you know graciously invited me to go out and check some trail cameras with him i'm remodeling my basement got a bunch of crap going at home so i didn't get to make it however i get i did get a picture text to me this morning of one of the trail cameras he had out mm. and why don't you explain to the good people that are listening what what happened to your trail camera on New Jersey public land? It vanished. Not only did the camera vanish and the lock, but also the 13, 14 inch, maybe even 16 inch tree that it was attached to vanished as well. <laughs> so somebody literally cut a giant tree down to steal my camera. Yeah. And we won't, we won't belabor this, but I just, you know, um, I just, getting the camera stolen is one thing. Yeah. To cut down a huge tree. That's demoralizing. That hurts my feelings. It hurts your feelings, but then... You know, like, we were, you, you, you got a chainsaw. You, you, see, some of you don't have bolt cutters. You could have just, like, cut the bolt, right? right? The the cable lock on it. Like He was making a point. Yeah, pretty much. That, like, I'm just going to come in and cut the tree down. Yeah. You know, so what we... And the... the, the I have a, a, an idea who might done it. When he cut the tree down, she... Or they, them, whatever we're... Whatever they are. Yeah. <laughs> whatever it is. Uh, the tree fell in their UTV slash four-wheeler trail. So now they're going to have to come back and actually cut their tree up so they can drive their four-wheeler on the public land and hunt their baited ladder stand. So it's like, you, you so really didn't win anything there, the, buddy. The telltale is, is if you go back and it is cut up so they can get in, mm-hmm. then you definitely know who did it Yeah, at that point. You know, um, it's... It's just crazy, man. Like, it, for one, it's like that's a lot of effort to go through to deter he was someone leaving from a message. there. Yeah, it's certainly leaving a message. That, and also told us that, you know, in this particular area, I know you knew that there was a good yeah. deer in there. Mm, really um, big and, one there. Yeah. And I had two cameras stolen, actually. That yeah. one and the low hanging fruit, which was one reason I went out today because I had some low hanging fruit. Right. And one of them was gone in the same area as that one where I had a really, I mean, middle of May. He was a monster, yeah. basically. And it's like, so that guy, girl, whatever, they know that there's an area. Yeah. And so, they know that, that what that camera was, it's a pretty thick, nasty, it's a big, wide-open spot. That they're definitely, they all funnel through. Right. Know? So it's like, yeah. Yeah, so it just kind of proved out that, yeah, there's one that's living in there. Not only did you have pictures, I'm gonna but... Kill, I'm going to kill him, and then I'm going to just make like a bunch of pictures and I'm going to just put it across their little furniture like a thousand. I'll print out like a thousand pictures. <laughs> going to look like a beautiful mind up in yes, there. Yes, exactly. It's going <laughs> to hang tree to tree, just pictures of me holding up the and say, thanks. Right. <laughs> anyway, we won't bring up that bad juju Here, for you. Here's your deer. Right. I mean, but there is a question in here somewhere, as I read through them previously, that is about um, uh, bait. Yes. Hunting, like in like how deer deter it. So it'll be interesting when we get to that because it kind of plays out, you know, and what you're kind of dealing with here with you know ladder stand with bait there. So 
We'll just go ahead and jump into the questions, man. Um, so this first one, I'll just kind of tee it up to you. And, th- and this is just a general one. And, th- and they really just wrote three words was adapting to pressure. And so I think what they really were intending was, you know, when you're hunting an area, you know, be it new, be it uh, a place that's new, you know, how are you, how are you kind of accounting for the pressure and what type of adaptations are you are you are you making or how do you how do you account for it maybe might be a better way to say it i think it's more of um for me it's more mental than um anything it's i try not to get worked up when like i didn't really get that worked up when my camera was stolen today because it's, it's part of the game you know i yeah. guess like you're going to have things that come up and i i look at it from a like a, a if i was a predator a wolf you know He's not going to get upset because something happened. He's just going to just find a way and figure it out, you know, a lion, wolf, whatever it might be. So for me, adapting to pressure is just not allowing it to affect my mindset of what I'm trying to accomplish. Right. And I think a lot of people struggle with that because, you know, Tony was here. He really struggles with that. Mm-hmm. If he sees somebody who's walked through the woods, if he sees a truck there, he won't hunt there, even though you're hunting a 1,000 acres. Ah, somebody's in my spot. Like, I don't want to deal with people. And he really allows, like, things that he has no control over to, to really affect his hunt sometimes. Not all the time, but sometimes. So I do, when pressure comes, I just keep it moving. Yeah. You know, just, I have enough spots. You know, I, I've talked about this numerous times. I Very rarely will I hunt an area, there's only one spot. If things come up, the wind shifts, like some of my spots, you know, in the salt marsh, I'm driving an hour, hour and 15 minutes. So I got three or four spots, you know, and I get there early enough where, if somebody's there, if something happened, the wind shifts, I just go somewhere else. And yeah. don't allow it to you know, get me in a bad mood or get me upset. You know, yeah. Or try not to, I should say. Yeah, you got to have, if you're hunting, well, I mean, just in general, yeah. right? It doesn't matter if, it's, if you're hunting public or private, yeah. but definitely public because you have less control over that, over that pressure. And you, I mean, you could say it's like I've hunted a farm, a family farm that had as much pressure, if not more, on it than public mm-hmm. that I hunt. You know, But it just goes to what you said in that last point. You've got to have plan A through C, A through D. Mm-hmm. Because of that, like you just have to anticipate that it's going to be there. And it was something you and I talked about on the podcast from this past winter when we were scouting together. And I made the comment, and it might even have been a podcast before you and I actually got together and did one. But if you're hunting in a high-pressure state, whether it's Pennsylvania, New Jersey, you know, Michigan, you know, is another one with a lot of pressure. You know, if you're going to be deterred by seeing human sign in the woods, like you're going to have a hard time. Yeah, you're going to struggle. Yeah. Like you can't let flagging tape deter you. Yeah. You can't let bright eyes deter you. You don't know when they're going to be hunting there. Like go, you should investigate the human sign. Yes. Just try to understand like how recent is it? Is it from this past season? Is it from this season? Like it's was someone here last week, mm-hmm. you know, and do the best to figure out like, well, how are they accessing? Like, mm-hmm. right. It's like, you know, I always say in, in a lot of the spots that I hunt, it's like, I have to, you almost kind of have to hunt the people as well. If you're going to hunt the same piece, right? Like, so maybe, spot b is on the same piece it's like okay well how can i use that person's pressure yeah. i was doing it last year in the one area i knew where the guy's stands were at yeah. they were all set up he doesn't take them down i don't know yeah. if it's the same guy or a couple guys but they're all they're, they're there throughout the off season yeah. same so trail walking in walking out i found his access I did, and i actually started using his access to get into some of the spots mm-hmm. i wanted to hunt because i was like well he's using it already so why am i going to walk somewhere else and booger up something yeah. as long as my wind is going to play correctly for yeah. where i'm going to hunt i'm just going to use his access you know and so you got to start to use it a little bit to your advantage. And then the other thing I did was I knew where he was at. He basically, his stand locations created a somewhat of a semi ring mm-hmm. around where I wanted to be. And so I just let his pressure 
move deer closer to where I wanted to be, you know? And so you have to start to use, it's and a little bit of 3d chess. You got to start to use them as, as well, it's like it's, it's chess, chess, not checkers. Yeah. You know, you have to really look at that. You know, use people to your advantage. You know, like here we, we bait, you know, heavily, it's a very mm-hmm. heavily baited state. And these deer will literally just skirt out wide these bucks, you know, anywhere from 50 to a hundred yards. They're just going to just, Scent check that bait for the coming most of the time. Right. Know, there's bucks do get killed over bait, you know, on public, you know. So I know that. I know they're they're taking a wheelbarrow and their four wheeler into the woods baiting. Like you said, I'm using that trail too. The deer are used to that smell there, noise, and yeah. I'll just go around that and just, you know, back throw that guy where, you know, any smart buck, especially a, a buck that's his core area, he knows what's up. You right. know, he's not going to make too many mistakes. You know, yeah. those guys are seeing them, but. Seeing and killing is not the same thing. Right. Yeah, exactly. So that's how we would, we would adapt to uh, adapt to pressure. And this is probably, you know, folks out there listening, you've probably heard similar conversations around adapting to pressure. You know, it's it's not a well, – Greg, Greg and I aren't, aren't inventing a new wheel yeah. here, right? It's, these are things that, you know, anyone who's hunted pressured areas long enough, even if you don't learn it somewhere, you start to learn it through observation. Yeah. And even know? like a New Jersey's – extremely populated state a lot of hunters a lot of hikers bird hunters small game hunters everything so deer that grow up in in public born in public that's just another walk another day for them they don't get upset when they smell a human they're just like oh there's humans over there let's go this way you know they they don't it's not like we were talking about earlier you know some of the spots you know where them bucks catch don't it. see people yeah yet. And it's they like- catch a boot track and they're like I'm, i don't know what that is but i'm, I'm out of here Around here, it's not supposed to be here is all I know. You know, yeah. like I've, I've had, I've worn leather boots. I've had deer come across my, they, they get spooky, nervy, but they kind of move on because it's a high traffic area for humans. So that human sense okay to them because right. they, they come by there a couple times a week. It's like, oh, human scent, whatever. It's another day. You know? Right. Yeah. That's a good point. You know, it's, they, in certain areas, especially if it's a lot of pressure, it's like you don't have to relocate to the next state yeah. to to get a clean area to hunt, yep. you know, you're, you know, you're talking, you're maybe, limited in woodlot size too. Yeah. A thousand acres. Well, they're limited to where they can go yep. too. You know, so it's, you're not the only one limited, Yeah, you know what I mean? And so you have to think of it in that context, yep. you know, it's like, they can't just go stand in the middle of somebody's yard or, or they can't, but they're not going to. Yes. It's like, so figure out like, where's the next best cover they would run to, especially if you have limited land. Yes. Right. Um, that's like, seams, go. like I call them seams in you know, big woods and even in marsh. The deer just funnel through. People mm-hmm. don't go in there, be it water, swamp, or, or briars, and they just hold tight. I just, you know, and they just, I mean, it amazed me how much buck sign I found this year, you know, down in Millville, just in between the old rows of stands. Mm-hmm. It's a real thick, nasty part, and you're like seven yards away from a bunch of stands. Deer just probably just going through there all the time, and nobody's seeing them because it's so thick. You know, and a buck's going to take one or two steps, stop, one or yep. two steps, you know? Yeah. So it's just, you find those little seams, little pockets where deer feel comfortable and they're going to move. And it doesn't have to be too terribly far away from where the bad stuff is yep. either. You That's know, it's right. just. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. 
What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Cool. So I think we covered that one pretty well. Let's move on to the next one. This one is about traveling. So they say, they're asking, you know, when you're traveling and you come across some great sign, how many hunts do you give it before you move on? And what about, you know, if this is a local piece versus a piece that you've traveled to? So you want to take this one or you want me to take a stab at it first? You start. Okay. I'm going to give a little thought to this. All right. Um, all right. So I think when I'm traveling and I come across really good sign, it depends on the time of year, you know, for me. And the thing is, is like most of my traveling is done during, during the rut. This year I'll do a little bit of traveling in October, so it'll be, it'll be a little bit different. With that, I move probably – quicker than I should. I'll put it that way. And that's one thing that I'm kind of learning over time is as I'm talking to, to you or whether I'm talking to Nathan Killen or whatever, it's like, I think a lot of cases I'm not, when I find hot sign or when I find the place that I want to set up. And sometimes it's not, it doesn't have sign. Sometimes you're just like, I found sign on my way in and this feels like the spot where you need to be to kill on the way to, right? Mm -hmm. And that's the other other part that I'm kind of learning and, and, and adapting. And so for me, you know, I'll just give the example of, being in Missouri last year, you know, I would basically scout until I found hot sign. I would set up on it and I'd maybe hunt it the evening and I might hunt it the next morning if the wind was right. And then by like 11 o'clock or whatever, I'm down and I'm moving and I'm trying to find the next spot. So I might give it two hunts or in total, I might give it like eight hours mm-hmm. of hunt time on it before I end up, before I move on. Um, when I'm local, I'm actually probably a little bit more patient. Um, and you and I have talked about this. It's like I should probably adopt more of my yeah. inpatient approach yes. whenever I'm in state yes. and adopt more of a patient approach yes. whenever I'm, when I'm, when I'm out of state. I mean, I, I do pretty okay out of state, but like I've probably missed opportunities on some really good deer by moving to, by moving too quickly, especially given the time frame that I'm mm-hmm. out there hunting during the rut. Um, but locally I will, I will give it the piece a, a couple sits, you know, this all, you know, I'll preface this all by saying it really depends on what my access is. You know, how clean can I get in? How clean can I get out? Did I have an encounter while I was there? Was it a good encounter or a bad encounter from the deer's perspective? Yes. Like, did they know that I was there? Did they not know that I was there? Because if it does, then I'm, then, that, then I'm done. Then that spot's yeah. done. At least, you know, for a couple of days until I, maybe I make it back and the wind yeah. is right or whatever. If it's local, it's probably done for a couple of weeks before I go back. Um, if it's not and it's rut and I'm capitalizing on deer being stupid, yeah. then I may only give it a, like a day or two, you know, or I may even, if the access was good, was good, but the deer had a bad reaction, I may not see that deer again. So I may hunt that. I may hunt that again the next day yeah. potentially. Right. Cause I'm banking on the fact that I'm probably going to see a different deer there the next time. Agreed. You know, you know, so for me, if it's great sign, I'm hunting it and I'm probably moving off of it pretty quick traveling, but, because I'm also trying to press the envelopes. I know I only have so many days, so I'm just trying to see as much as I can and hit as much hot sign as I can. Locally, I'm probably a little bit more patient, but I probably need to be a little bit more aggressive locally. I probably just need to be a touch more patient when, I, when I travel. Out. So I need to do a little bit of a balance, but I think the net net is I think when you travel, at least my perspective is, you know, it, it also depends on if you've had an opportunity to, to scout that as well. Mm-hmm. A lot of times when I'm going out of state, I'm freelancing the whole hunt. You know, Missouri was all freelance. Kansas will be all freelance this year. And so I don't have any type of historical information of, of what's going on at a specific spot. 
you know, so that is another reason why I'm moving a lot because I'm just trying to get in deer. Now, once I get in deer, the right kind of yeah. deer, I might slow it down and start to become a little bit more patient. But I would say on the whole, I would probably lean more aggressive and I'll move more often traveling and I'll be a little bit more patient whenever I'm at home. See, I've super aggressive at home. Um, you know, I'm probably too aggressive um, because I'm always afraid some other hunter is going to swoop in and mess up that spot. Or there's, you know, if I get three days to hunt, I'll, you know, get one hunt here, next hunt here, next hunt here, keep pushing in and blow out that spot and move on. Right. Like, sometimes I'm like, I'm going all in on the first thing and it's not good. Out of state, I was always too patient. I get to a spot, I'll sit it for three days. Right. I've kind of, I need to balance out a little bit better. The opposite uh, way yeah, that I need yeah. to balance out. Like yeah. hunt with Johnny in PA, you know, and Rick in uh, New York, just they constantly moving, you know. And it's like, okay, I, I, can, I can make that work, you know. Right. Unless I know, you know, I'm setting a scrape. Well, scrape locally, I'm going to give it two or three days, yeah. you know, because they're, they're the cycle, you know. Yep. Very rarely do I have bucks come into a scrape. For three straight days, you know, or every day. It's like, all right, a little pocket of movement here. And about two days later, a little pocket of movement for a day or two. So if right. scraping, scrapes, I'll, I'll give it a, a bit. Even out of state. I'll, I don't mind hunting for a couple sets. Right. But, um, I mean, as far as, like, out of state and, and for me, sign and stuff. Because <laughs> I'm primarily a bed hunter. So when I hunt out of state, usually it's already pre-scouted. So mm-hmm. I kind of know, idea, okay, they're going to bed in this general area, and I can kind of set up. And right. I'll, I'll, I'll throw a sit or two at it, you know? Right. Um, but, yeah, I guess very, like, we're very similar, just to switch it, you know? Yeah. Well, that's the one thing that I'm, that I'm learning from you, you know, I learned a ton of stuff from you, but just, like, it, it just in general. Like, oh, what not to do? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you know, no, it's just, you know, having good hunting buddies, whether it's you or Chad or whoever that, I'm, that, we're, that we talk it's it's picking up those little things of going like you know man I probably need to dial back the aggressiveness in this in this particular scenario, and you get the advantage of seeing how your buddies hunt and how they're having success. You know what I mean? And having the conversations about well what am I probably missing, right? And then through my eyes of like what I do, right? It's like you can look at it and yeah. go like well here are some places where he's actually yeah. doing well where I'm missing the mark a little bit. How do I how do I cal- recalibrate, yeah. right? And that's the cool thing is it's always to learn. There's no right or wrong answer, right? And that's the, it's whatever you're comfortable with. And, and I'll say this, whatever you're confident in. Yes. If you're confident in moving, then move. Yes. You know, if you're confident, like my buddy, uh, Ryan Glitzky, you know, I don't know how many folks know who he is. I think I had him on a podcast at one point, uh, kills really good deer, but he is a dude that can go sit a rut funnel and sit for five days and he will kill the biggest buck in the area. Like, you know, but he just, he can do that. Like, that's a tough, that's a hard sell, man. That is a. And I can't do it. Like, I can't sit that long like yeah. that. You know what I mean? Like but three, he, day, three days is like in one, the same tree hunting something. That's usually like my limit before I feel like I'm going to just go insane. Because mm-hmm. there's no amount of books or no amount of all internet that can keep me, my focus for any, anything longer than three days. But right. it's like, they're, they're moving over there. I know they're moving over there. I got, I got, and I, I pretty much just psych myself out of that spot. 
whether right. I'm not paying attention or I'm moving more or fidgeting, and I'm pretty much the, the, the moment's gone, basically. Right. I need to have him back on because, like, he's a really good hunter, like, and he will move and find the hot sign. Yep. But, like, he's de- he's con- he has conviction in what yeah. he's seen, yes. whether it's trail camera data, his personal scouting boots on the ground and finding the sign. And once he has the puzzle pieces yeah. and he's like, this is it, that's it. Like, he's going to kill it there. He might have to sit it five days, but it's going to happen, yeah. you know. And he just has that conviction. That's why I was saying whatever method it is you deploy, just be confident in it. Otherwise, if you half-ass either approach, it's yeah. not going to work for you. Exactly. You know what I mean? It's like just think about guys like the dudes from the hunting public, how yeah. often they move yeah. and stuff like that. How often do you think, and I'm sure they would recognize this, and I think it might even heard Zach talk about it at one point. How often do you think that they've moved off an area and a big deer had come by mm-hmm. after they'd already moved? I'm sure it's happening because yeah. they move a lot, right? But they also kill a lot of deer. Yes. You know what I mean? So, and you have to, like I said, it gets, goes back to playing to your strengths. There are some guys, you know, I mean, I've, some old timers during gun season, they would sit shotgun, same stand, sun up, sun down, six years old. You know, back when I lived in Atlantic County. And some of these guys would kill bangers every year because they would literally just sit all day. They're not doing the drives, not doing anything. They're just sitting. He goes, This is my vacation. I wait all year for this. I can sit in this tree. I don't bow hunt. Right. I have six day firearm to kill a good buck. And they will literally sit, like I said, that conviction. I'm sitting this because I know all the driving and mm-hmm. the ruts going on. There's something's going to come through here. And every other year they kill a really nice deer. And it's like, yeah, I don't know about that, man. That's right. That's, that's very hard for me. Right. So I think we covered that one. I think the net net is like, be confident in what it is that you're, you know, whatever you're going and, to choose. Be willing to try new things. That's Don't be huge. so stubborn. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, maybe it makes sense to be a little bit more aggressive when you're out of state and dialing it back a little bit whenever you're, when, mm-hmm. when you're at home and you have a little bit more intel. That's, you know, out of state for me, more aggressive. Yeah. And it's paid off the last two years in PA. I've, yeah. I've hunted probably 20 different stands. Right. <laughs> which is unheard of. Don's like, get down. We're going somewhere else. Where? Down, down here. No, get in the truck. Drive down here. Going about 300 yards. Look, you'll figure it out. And it's like, okay, I, I guess. And I, there's deer. And it's like, yeah. oh, all right. You know, it's like, I don't play socks somewhere else. And it's like, yeah, he's like the deer yeah, whisperer, yeah. man. <laughs> all right. On to the next one here. This person is asking, how, how, what is your approach to scouting flat, thick hardwoods with no mass crop? So flat, thick as in like swamp or thick as in undergrowth like browse? I'd say either either way. I think yeah, let's go either way. Let's do let's do it both ways. So uh, let's just go first with it's flat, thick with swamp, no mass crop. That's a tough Because I kinda have both of those right now in that piece up north that I've been scouting. Yeah. I have that's basically all it is. Yeah. It's areas that are flat and thick with Same just list. like almost like cuts or just yeah. like gnarly undergrowth. And then there's areas where it's flat and thick because it's, you know, it's a mountaintop yeah. kind of swamp section. I would have to go back to my time hunting the pine barrens where it's mostly pines. You know, mm-hmm. there is no, some years there's, there's acorns, other years there's not. So the deer are just browse feeders is finding any type of edge uh, features or anything, whatever, yeah people are calling it these days transition zones whatever you know where two <laughs> two, two things different types meet. of habitat come together yes. yeah and walk that and find out what the deer browsing on yeah um 
you know, I was never really a big food hunter, you know, hanging out with Rick and, and learning stuff from Johnny. It's like, you got to understand what they're eating. Yeah. Once you understand what they're eating, all the other puzzles, you know, you can kind of, okay, you can make moves. Well, you now understand, like, the puzzle, the puzzle pieces become um, not clear, but they start to make more sense now yeah. why, they're at, why they're at that spot yes. during this time, why yeah. they're at this spot during this yeah. time. It's like now all of a sudden, like, you understand – well, they're not going to be over here because this time of year, this is not there any longer. No. This is where their yeah. their bellies are going to get full. Is yeah. over here. It's a fun any any type of transition, be it you know a small creek, a, a ditch, you know even you know trees that have fallen down, rotten trees. You know in the pine barrens, a lot of rotten beetles came through in certain areas, and, and a lot of trees fell down. Well, that creates light mm-hmm. <laughs> down to the floor, which creates browse. You yeah. know, and the deer can feed on that. Yeah. So flat stuff, find, try to find out what they're eating. Yeah. And that's, I always struggle with that because, you know, some spots, you know, I call them blueberry bushes. You know, sometimes there'll be blueberries on them. Sometimes they're not. You know, I don't know what they really are, but they're chest high sometimes. Well, a deer's, I'm not really, because I'm always, I need to scout, you know, three miles today to feel like I comp something. Right. Now it's like, I'm always watching what they're nipping. What is this? I don't know what that is. Now with the cell phone, take a picture. You know, and then you see it again. You're like, it's the same thing. Okay, they're browsing here, browsing here. And you know, you see that bush or that branch or whatever they're eating. You're like, okay, I get that. You know, and then yeah. there's a lot of it. Odds are deer are going to be coming, you know, to it and bedding relatively close. Because, you know, and one thing I learned hunting the big woods is, you know, it's not like ag where it's bedding, feed, it's trick you know right browsers everywhere in the big woods but if they got a you know, concentration yes of it. Yeah. a lot of it they're not going to bed you know a mile away because they're just missing out they're consuming a lot of energy to get this browse so they're going to bed relatively close to the right field. yeah people have to remember that deer regardless of you know what their age is, there's definitely a stratification of where they want to bed based on oh big word um where they want to bed based on in relationship to their gender and also relationship to their age right like so we get that that becomes more more significant as you get into like you know october november right stuff like that early season for finding i'll just say for finding like summertime pictures yes. or whatever for example right they're all going to stay relatively close to the food yes. like to your to your point like yes. bucks still don't want to be super social they're going to stay away from the fawns and the does yes. or whatever but like what's the next best layer of cover behind what that first layer yeah. of cover off the food is typically is going to be where they're where they're at what you said at the beginning of like those transition areas i make no bones about it man when i go to somewhere new like I, i'm not smart enough to be able to like i'm not good enough at e-scouting some people would maybe <laughs> tell me I'm lying because yeah. I end up finding like yeah. spots by doing that. Okay, but, yeah, sure, Clint, not good at it. <laughs> but uh, I don't think that I am. So a lot of times when I go to these places, it's like I just look for diversity of habitat. To your point, it's like I want to find where two edges come, two different types of habitat come together. Whether it's like hardwoods and like a clear cut, that's a really obvious yes. one. Hardwoods in a swamp, a clear cut in a swamp, like whatever that confluence of habitat is i'll just start there and start walking and start finding sign and then start just following the sign right and that what you were kind of describing that food where they're nipping like i did that whenever i was up north i found an area in the winter where they were nipping i could see everything was nipped off i had no clue what any of that stuff was yeah (laughs) you know but i was like it it was a concentration of it and i was like they're clearly eating this 
let me hang a trail camera. Well, that's where I kind of found a quote unquote little buck nest this year. They're not, and it's like all daylight pictures. Yep. They're living right there. They're bedding close. Yeah. They're not living too far away, yep. away from that. Um, and then there's a ton of cover just around it in general. So it's one of those places that should hold true as you get into October. Cause it'll be, you know, in this, in the big woods, in this area, when, when the foliage drops, like it becomes pretty open in a lot of areas. So this place will stay relatively thick, even when I was in there in the winter. And so you really just kind of need to kind of focus on where are those thick spots. If you're in flat, thick areas, right. With not a lot of mass, stay in the thick areas. Just like, just by like, just by probability alone, you're going to end up having, finding food in there to some degree, some type of, some type of browse, and you're going to have better level of cover. Yes. And so that's where I would just concentrate my, my efforts. The flatness sucks because you don't know how they're going to move. Yes. And one thing I'll add with the, a thick cover, like some spots around here, like Millville, it's laurel. So nothing really gets, so you stay in the thick stuff. And then as you're going through, you see the little pockets of light come down. Mm -hmm. And whenever there's this open pockets, I actually did a couple videos uh, on it this year. Whenever I found these big open pockets in the thick stuff, boom, scrapes. Yeah. It was like a magnet for them because they got, you know, a football field basically of just laurel, you know, and you're, pretty much walking almost in your hands and knees sometimes it's so thick and then you just come into a light spot there's food there's usually like an oak tree and there's scrapes right so it's like they're gonna use that cover they're traveling but then pop in this little open spot grab some brows make scrape or find some buck sign you know or right. lay down some buck sign yeah so it sounds like what we're saying is is like don't make it harder on yourself yep. find those transition lines that areas where habitat come together and you have some diversity right those are always good Stay closer to the thick stuff. Pay attention to what they're browsing and nipping on. Because Deer edge. Creatures of the edge. Yeah. And then find what they're nipping on and understand what that is and find concentrations of it. Yes. And if you do that, you're going to likely find where they're spending some time feeding. And, and probably not too far away bedding. Yes. And I guess the next part would be with mass crop. Mm-hmm. With no mass crop. With no. What's, what we just did. Yeah. Yeah. We just did. Yeah. That was the question. Yes. Yeah, so and now it's going to be with with. We did a two-part question that one, right? Yeah. Well, the two-part was one was swamp, okay, and one was not not swamp, okay. And so I think we covered both oh, yeah. both of them at that point. It's like find where the edges come together, yes. right? Edges. Swamp's gonna edges. be way more obvious. Yes. Non-swamp is gonna be a little less obvious. You're gonna have to work a little harder. It doesn't and, have to be significant. Boots on the ground. Yeah. You might be on the wrong end of the football field or the wrong end of the mile that you need to be. Yeah. So you need to. Definitely don't be afraid to walk. Yeah, you're gonna in those instances, and that's what I found scouting up north this year is like you just like I just had to walk. I just had to walk a lot. Boot leather. Yeah. And it's paying off, but I mean that's really the only way to do it because the it's not a lot of it's not super obvious on a map. You yep. just have to go figure it out. You know, I wish yeah. I had an easier answer, but it's literally just and one thing I, time. I found scouting this year in the big woods by my house here in Millville is these bucks. A lot of big buck signs in thick, dark timber, like signpost rubs. And nobody can hunt. It's so thick and dark. Like, you're literally losing probably 15 minutes of light hunting in there. It's so dark. Right. So much big buck sign in this because deer love, you know, especially older mature deer. They just operate on a different wavelength. Mm-hmm. And so you get those dark pockets uh, of timber. Usually they're going to be traveling through there during the rut. That's going to be the little safe zone. You'll find like rub lines in there going to, you know, to and from a certain area. Mm-hmm. They're going to avoid the big open areas where people want to put a stand. Right. You, know, you find some buck sign in that thick stuff. 
it's hard to hunt it, you know, extremely hard because it's just, you got, unless you got a you know, buckshot or something, even buckshot would be hard in some of these spots. Right. Yeah. So cool, man. I think we're good on that one. I think we can move on to the next question. So the next one is, it really, it was pretty brief the way they kind of wrote it. But what I think they're asking is, is they're asking for, you know, they basically just said freestyle hunting and splash running gun. Right. So I think they want our approach or how do we approach, you know, that freestyle kind of super I'll, mobile. I'll super serve mobile. that one up for you. That is your specialty, out of state specialty. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's, there's a, there's a lot to consider and not a lot to consider. The, the not a lot to consider is that, you know, you're not really doing any pre-scouting. Right. Yeah. At least for me, I'm not. Whenever I'm truly freestyle hunting, it's like I don't really know much about the, yeah. about the well, place. Yeah, I guess define run and gun versus freestyle. Right. I think so, it's there right. I think two there's two different things. Like yeah. I would say Greg is a better run and gun hunter than, yes. than me because I to me that almost goes back to the other earlier question that we had around how long do you sit versus yeah. not, right? Because run and gun to me is more what you do, which is like you know you have information about yes. an area, right? And you're playing that game and, and trying to predict how deer are going to move and what they're going to do based on the wind and based on thermals, based yes. on what the feeding pattern and their bedding pattern. And you're like, you're, and you're moving actively to try to intercept them based on those things. For me, freestyle is I show up and I know jack shit, <laughs> you know, and I'm, and I'm okay with knowing jack shit. And I'm going to basically just start working a piece of property and using some of the stuff we just talked about in the last question, depending on what it is. If it's yeah. that flat, thick kind yeah. of area, I'm going to look for the transition areas and I'm going to, and I'm going to start there and I'm just going to start walking. Right. And I'm going to pay attention to the wind. Cause I'm going to look at the map. I'm going to think like, if I head here, where do I expect deer to be? And I'm going to want to keep the wind usually in my face. That's usually kind of how I want to roll. Cause I want anything I just walk through to be the place that gets blown. Mm -hmm. That's that's screwed. Right. So I'm always trying to keep my wind in the face it's not, it's not a hundred percent. You're gonna have to go around stuff and it's going to not always work out that way, but the best I can, I try to keep it, you know, in, in my face as much as possible for a morning hunt. I don't go in until I have a little bit of daylight, especially if I don't know the spot right that's now. A lot. That's super important. It's critical, you yes. know, and I learned, and this isn't something I've made up like this is like, I don't want anyone to think that I've created like the freestyle hunting approach or whatever. It's like, I learned a lot of this stuff from John Eberhardt because yes. John Eberhardt is like a master at freestyle hunting. It's one, it's who I picked it up from. It works well for me. It's worked well for him. And so going in in daylight is critical because the one thing you don't want to be doing is blowing a bunch of good hunting opportunity out by not being able to see what the hell you're doing. And yeah. if you're truly freestyle hunting, you're really just still hunting until you get to a spot that you want to set up on. And how are you still hunting or reading any sign if it's dark? Mm -hmm. You're not, you know what I mean? You're bumbling about and screwing up more than you're more than you're helping. <laughs> and so wind in the face, not in until I have a little bit of daylight. And then a lot of times I'm just trying to find hot sign. And as I'm going, it's like, I'm constantly reading my map and trying to look like, okay, mm -hmm. what terrain feature am I in now? Where's the next terrain feature at? Oh, there's nothing here. What's the next thing I need to go check out. And I wish there was a, a more kind of eloquent, you know, or scientific a, kind of approach to it. It's a cat and mouse yeah. method. Where, yeah. where it really becomes, you know, cat and mouse is when you start to get a few data pieces. Like you start to find some scrapes, you start to find some rubs. And now you're kind of still actively looking yeah. at the map and you're thinking about, okay, well, what's my next move? You know, or is this the best stuff I'm yeah. going to find? You know, so it really is like a combination of still hunting, you know, and, and, and kind of, mobile live, run and gun hunting. Live, it's like a live intel. Yeah. And you're just kind of making your, your, your calls on the fly yeah. and you have to be, 
willing to swing and miss. You know, you're going to swing and miss often. But this is also whenever I'm super aggressive and I might hunt a spot for like two hours and get down and leave. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then I'm off to the next, you know, and you might, I mean, there were days in Missouri, this is whitetail hunting, so it's not like a ton of mileage if you were out west. But, I mean, there were days that I did six miles before I set up. You know, I started out at daybreak when I first got a little bit of light. And I didn't set up until I was getting ready for an evening hunt. Mm -hmm. You know, I might not set up till four o'clock and I might hunt the last hour and a half of daylight, you know, but the way I would do that is I would literally try, if it was good, I would now go in and dark because I knew how to get there and I would hunt that same setup for the morning the next day and try to get two hunts out of it, you know, and that's as long as my access. And like I mentioned before, as long as my exit and entry was good, then I would, then I would do that. And then that would be the spot that I would start from the next day because now I'm getting down around 10 o'clock. Didn't see any deer getting down, looking at my map. So almost where, like quadrant hunting. Yeah. Where am I hunting next? Yeah. I just start walking until I find the next best sign, you know, and just rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat. It's how I hunted Iowa. It's how I hunted Missouri. Stuck one in Iowa, yeah. hit one in Missouri, didn't get it, you know, saw a bunch of bucks. And, you know, that's really my freestyle approach. But I have a YouTube video on it. If, if some, whoever wrote that in, if they want to see more about it, like I did a video on how to set up for freestyle hunting. So check that out. But, Greg's better suited to talk about the run and gun stuff yeah. than me because I don't run and gun. Uh, it's a term that's pretty popular these days. I always just I grew up, I guess, a mobile hunter. My dad was very. We're gonna hunt this piece of wood in the morning, and in the evening we're gonna drive forty minutes and hunt somewhere else. So for me, bouncing around from spot, new spot, new spot all the time, I pretty much how I cut my teeth. I guess mm-hmm. hunting. So I was pretty much doing that from day one, you know, for literally my first day out in the woods. We hunted three, three t- spots in one day. We hunted a morning spot in Pensgrove, an old blueberry farm. And then midday, my dad was like, ah, oh, we're going on the Mad Horse. We're going to hunt here. And then in the evening, we're hunting somewhere up along 295. And, oh, all right. And that was pretty much our Saturdays. Right. Boom, 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 boom. We sat midday. Don't matter if it was you know, September or not, or October back then. Right. We sat, always at lunchtime, yep. you know? So it was like, for me, running, gunning, mobile hunting, it was just something that I've always done. So I've adapted it and, and used it to my advantage, you know, pretty well over the years. Right. And running, gun, you know, being mobile, whatever you want to call it, it's just, you have all your gear in your back at all times. Uh, back when I started, it was climbers. <laughs> Or, you know, crappy hang on or a white bucket I painted <laughs> and I sat on the ground, you know. So right. you don't need fancy gear to be a running gun hunter. You know, you can just, a white bucket. I've killed a lot of deer sitting on a white bucket, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> so just running gunning is walking into you find a hot sign, basically. It's very, you know, similar to, to freestyle hunting, I guess. But you have a little more knowledge of the area. Yeah. And I, I mean, there was one morning I sat daybreak. I see bucks on a bean field. I get up and move all the way over here. That to me is the true definition yeah. of running gun. Yeah. It's like, it's that real time. I saw movement. I'm 50 yards out of the game. Yes. <clears throat> I need to move 50 yards now. And I end up shooting the first super time. I was a two and a half year old buck at the time. Uh, it was one of the last ones I've killed before. I was like, I need to shoot something bigger. I was killing a few of them, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was like, I seen the, Big buck come across the field, so I just made a mad dash with my bucket, grabbed my wet mm-hmm. bucket, and just ran as fast as I could because I had an idea where the deer was going to be. I come in and you know, kind of loop, made like a big you know, J, I guess, and sat down in the bucket. And then 
first 15 minutes of light, here comes this eight-pointer right in the woods. Uh, fuck, shot, shot him at 35 yards. I was yeah. like, <laughs> and that year I killed three bucks from the ground uh, all the way from October to January. Yeah. It was all ground hunting, you know, and that was really an eye-opening experience, yeah. you know. It, that way. It's interesting because they are very similar approaches. Yeah. I think the biggest difference you hit the nail on the head is one, you got a little intel or yeah. you might know the area. You maybe have hunted a couple of years and you're really just making reactions to like what you see deer yeah. doing and what's happening. And freelance is in or freestyle hunting in my mind is truly showing up to a place that you've never been before and just figuring it out on the mm-hmm. fly. So yeah, you're, you're, you might run and gun within the hunt, yeah. but it really starts off as a freestyle hunt because it's just like a freestyle hip hop, like yeah. a rapper, yeah. right? You don't know what you're going to say yeah. until you say it, yeah. right? With with freestyle hunting, it's the same way. It's like I don't know what I'm going to see or what this property even yeah. has to offer until I see it, you know. Yeah. And you have to just make those decisions on yeah. the fly. But there are there is a point during the hunt where they become almost the same yeah. thing within the hunt, yeah. right? It's like so. It's like the next day I might start out on a completely new freestyle hunt because yeah. I'm going to go to an area I've never been before again, where you know within that hunt if I see deer. 50 yards away, I get down, like I'm running and gunning. Yeah. Like I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm adopting both. I think they're both really effective. You know, I think the other distinction is, is that it's not that like, you know, um, I'm hunting here today and here tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Like that to me is like, you're just hunting. Yeah. Like running gun to me is literally like that. You're making those micro adjustments in, in the and moment. And that's where having all your gear on your back, ready to go. I've, I've killed a lot of deer. Just walk in and just like, phew deer sign right here i'm setting up i mean i killed that buck last year yeah uh, oh yeah i seen that scrape i was like ah, i'm going to that bed and i walk past him like what are you an idiot like it's right here just go back and it's like that's like the worst thing i'm like standing in the scrape like who cares i'm going over here i remember walking past it and it's like <laughs> just go back there you dummy just go back don't look you at know. gift gift deer in the yeah mouth. basically yeah. Yeah. <laughs> don't look. and that was the old being able to make that distinction it's like all right, I got all my gear. I'm ready to hunt like right now. Yeah. Like I don't have a hang on sitting there or a ladder stand. Like yeah. I have all my gear with me, and I always I've always been that way. I've only killed a few deer out of hang ons in my life. Right. I've always had climber gear backpack. On your back. Yep. I think the other thing too is is depending on where you're at. Like for example, this Kansas hunt's going to be all freestyle for me. Chad's been out there once, so we'll ha- he'll have a little bit of intel. And I think we have like two cameras yeah. out there, but like I've never seen the country. You know, we're going to be doing all walk-in access areas. So that area is going to be a lot, like, my glass is going to be really important yes. for that trip. And your glass is important in freestyle hunting because you always want to kind of, I should have mentioned this earlier when I was kind of talking about it. Like, you want to try to be looking ahead of you as much as possible, right? And that's probably one of the things in freestyle hunting that I need to get better at as I don't look ahead of me often enough. And it burnt me in Iowa where I jumped that one big deer out of that CRP draw. Yes. And if I would have known... You know, I, didn't, I wasn't as, not that I'm a good ground hunter by any stretch of the imagination, but I've learned a little bit in the past two years. My fatal mistake there was while I was walking in with my wind in my face, whenever I saw an area where I was like, oh, there might be a deer bedded there, I failed to think about, well, he's looking at his back trail. Yes. He's looking in directly in the direction yes. I'm coming from, right? Because his wind advantage is to his back. And so what I should have done was stop and Jay hooked around and mm-hmm. try to get try to get the wind angle on him to where he I also would have the vision angle on him as well. That's well, just a learning a learning I lesson. I think people underestimate how good deer see. Movement. Movement, yeah. yeah. They are extremely and people talk about turkey all the time and yes, but deer have especially bucks, you know, they can see movement. I mean they see your hand move, mm-hmm. you know, anything from you know 
six yards away walking through some brush, you know. Mm-hmm. It's like may, they, oh. they may not know what you are, but they see movement. That's yeah. enough for them. Like I'm good. I'm going back this way. Yeah, and I think it also depends on how much nerve that deer has mm-hmm. too. You know, you get like a the attitude. I guess yeah. that maybe I should say right the personality of a buck. If you get one, it's like cock of the walk, mm-hmm. and he's like, well, "What's that moving over yeah. there?" Because I've also had them where it's like I've moved or made noise, and they were like, "Hey, what's that?" Come walking in, like who's in my area? You know. But to your point, it's like most of the time, man especially if you're in like pressure areas yeah. and stuff like that, they see a little bit of movement and they're like, mm, well, that's I'm- it. You know, how many times you've sitting in your stand and you just, you hear movement and you just snap your head and then deer are 34 yards away, 30 or 40 yards away. And either that doe or buck's like, Hey, what's up? Right. I'm well, out. Just, just think about this. Like you're not trying to stay alive. Yeah. And how many times have you been in a tree and just saw something that flickered yeah. where the light di- was different out of the corner of your eye. Yeah. And you were like, what was that? Yeah. And you just, and it was the side of a body of a deer walking yeah. through the brush that so you can't see it. It just the depth yeah. of the of the light changed, yeah. and you knew something was there, right? And you're not and you're not even trying to stay alive, yeah. you know. So think about the fact that they're just they're trying to survive. So it behooves them. Yeah. Ooh. Behooves. Stratification behooves. Yes. What's up? Write these down. Yeah. <laughs> I've been using yeah. the work. <laughs> um, but it's in their interest to like to see that to yes. see and notice those things. So For certainly sure. they're going to. But. All right, I think we answered that one pretty well. We're only like five in. Like, we're gonna have, this would be like a month-long podcast. I'm need a case of beer. All right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. I'd like to thank all of you for listening. And if you haven't yet, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating. And hell, while you're at it, head over to YouTube and give us a sub there, too. I'd be super appreciative if you'd be able to do those two things for me. And before I shut this thing down, I need to give a big shout-out to our partners who continue to help us make this podcast possible. Tether, Exodus Outdoor Gear, Skull Brew Coffee Company, and Maven Optics. And until next time, we'll see y'all. All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long-sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do-hard-shit hat for those of us who like to embrace micro-dosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear.